following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Um, let me ask you to just start off and get our brains working and thinking a bit. Uh, if you were given the job of designing and creating paradise, okay, what would you, what would it look like? Okay, what would you create or design? Okay, say God comes to you and says, you know, we're coming to the end of the world here, and pretty soon I'm going to be wiping out this earth, and I want you to create paradise, okay? Uh, you're going to be the chief engineer and architect, I want you to design paradise. What would you create? What would it look like? Um, what would be its function, right? You got to think about these things. What would be its most significant features? Uh, big question. What would you do there, right? What would you do in paradise? Okay. I remember when I was younger and loved to ski. One of my great loves, which is why I moved to Thailand, you know, because <laughs> the skiing here is great. Um, I used to envision, you know, heaven was going to be like this endless, never-ending ski run. Like you could just ski for a thousand years and never get to the bottom, right? Uh, what, what, would, what would your paradise have? Uh, you know, I also, one of my other great loves was singing and playing music, you know, and I just had this picture that heaven was going to be like this never-ending jam session with all these really great musicians where you just get together for like 300 years, you know, you just keep going on jamming on the same song or whatever. Uh, maybe uh, you know. Maybe you have this vision of something kind of akin to Disneyland, only like supercharged, right? Like just really fun, adventurous. You know, instead of just cheesy characters, like everything's real. You know, like bear country. It's got like real bears or something dancing and singing. I don't know. Uh, what would your what would your paradise look like? What would it be? Um, well, I don't know, and as, as you think about it, hopefully you won't, you won't wander too far from the sermon, start daydreaming about paradise. But my guess is that it would have some of these elements. Uh, first of all, chances are our paradise would be entertaining. Okay, there would be something in our, par- in our paradise that would be fun to do, right? Games, activities, good music, live concerts, good movies, uh, something about it that would be entertaining, Second, I think our paradise may have in it relaxation, right? I would guess that probably all of us, you know, paradise will not have homework, will not have papers, will not have work, right? It will be a place where we sit by the beach in our lawn chairs and drink whatever's appropriate in your paradise. There's the European paradise, which has much more alcohol than, like, the American paradise. Right? And I know a lot of you Americans are opting for the European version, so... Um, but it would, be, it would be a place where there's no work, no real responsibility, no problems to solve, people not coming to you with all their difficulties, right? Uh, also, it would probably have some component of a place where there are no worries, where everything is at your fingertips, where basically you can buy and shop and spend. You know, you get basically a credit card with an unlimited 
credit and you never have to pay it back, right? Everything you want is available right there for you, right? You get whatever you want. You can power shop till you drop and then go power shop some more. Uh, probably all of us would include in our paradise some component of hanging out with close friends. I mean, most of us don't envision paradise uh, in total isolation and aloneness. Now, there's a few of you who do, <laughs> okay? Um, you know, your, your favorite paradise is, uh, you know, with the, the, the Tom Hanks movie where he gets uh, stranded on the island, you know, just alone, lost. Um, but most of us envision good close friends and doing things, enjoying these things with someone. Okay, and finally, of course, this is church, right? So, and, you know, paradises have to, so have to do something with God. So we better tack on the end. Oh, yeah, and we worship God all the time, right? And uh, we don't want to leave God out because paradise must include him somehow. And so we have this vision of worship, but chances are, uh, maybe not in this room, but if we were to survey people in general about what paradise would look like, they would want a place where God is worshipped. However, worship would look a lot like what I just described. Worship would be entertaining, relaxing, no worries, hanging out with close friends, just with kind of a God focus, right? Well, uh, the reason I'm quite certain that this is how many people, probably the majority of people, would design eternity, would design paradise, is because that is, that's the pursuit of men on earth, okay? Uh, what is it that people are pursuing? What is it that people are living and filling their life with? What is it that people are longing for in their life? Well, given the amount of money and time and energy we consume on things like uh, entertainment, uh, widescreen, high-definition TVs and movies and concerts and games and, and every kind of entertainment, uh, the, the more we pursue a life of great leisure, Although we're not doing very good at this one. We're pursuing leisure. You know, back, back in the, I think it was the early 40s or 50s, there came out a book explaining that because of all the modern advances in technology and machines, washing machines and dishwashers, that by the, turn, by the end of the last century, the year 2000, people would only have to work four days a week, four like six-hour days, and they would have all this leisure time, right? Because of computers and washing machines. Is that working out for anybody yet? Uh, it hasn't worked out for me. Okay, but that's the pursuit. We want more leisure. We want more relaxation, more time at the beach. Um, we, uh, we have become a people that consume. We spend money we don't have to consume stuff we don't need, right? That's, that's the pursuit of the world. Uh, more stuff, more things, more material possessions. One of the reasons we don't have much time is because we work too much to get more stuff, right? Uh, this, is the, this is really the paradise we are pursuing, realistically. Whatever we could say about what we want paradise to be spiritually, the reality is that for most people in the world, they are trying to create paradise in their own life, and these are the ways they see it coming. Through leisure, through entertainment, through consumerism, through friendships and companionship, um, through worship, but worship that is very much all of those things with a God focus, right? 
Well, what do you think, and here's another question. What do you think God's idea of paradise is? Okay, what would God's idea of paradise be? Well, Genesis 2 is God's idea of paradise. Okay, for most of us, Genesis 2, if we landed there, we would think we fell into hell. Okay, so there's a problem. Because God's idea of what the ideal world is, is probably not what anybody in this room or in this world would picture as ideal. Let me look, let's look at this. You think, well, that can't be true. Listen, think about this. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an orchard, okay, with a garden. All right, this is, this is the whole of what Eden is, okay? It's a spacious land planted with a garden of trees, Okay, all kinds of fruit trees and beautiful trees. Probably similar, not so much to what we think of as a vegetable bar garden, but picture a Thai garden, okay? A Thai garden. Beautiful trees, fruit trees, nice to look at, little flower beds, little paths, little benches, right? And lots of space to plant vegetables, okay? Eternity in paradise is being a farmer. Okay? That's paradise. That's God's idea of paradise. Um, a patch of dirt ready to be tilled and planted. Okay, the picture, we'll see this as we go through this chapter. Uh, the picture here is of an arid desert in a Middle Eastern place, not a jungle, not Thailand, okay? They would have pictured the Middle East where there's a desert of good soil that just needs water to become something productive. Water and a shovel. You show up, God hands you the shovel. All right, this is paradise. Okay, get to work, start digging. Okay, there's the seeds, there's the dirt, this is paradise. Okay, anybody on with this one yet? Oh yeah, bring it on. Okay, an abundance of fruit and vegetables. Okay, where's the beef? I don't know, it's not here. Okay, where's the McDonald's? Where's Subway? Where's Burger King? Okay, it's just fruit and vegetables and you have to grow it yourself. All right? Uh, the whole relaxation thing? No. In paradise, you work. Okay? God makes it very specific. This is your job. You want to eat? You got to dig. Okay? This is paradise. God's idea. Okay? Entertainment? No big screen TVs, no movies, no video games, no videos, no computers. Uh, instead, there is tons of quiet and solitude. The music you hear is the wind whistling through the trees, right? Uh, fourth, uh, moving on down the list, paradise has a tree that comes with rules and, and regulations requiring obedience, okay? In paradise, there are demands and expectations and you've got to follow the rules. Finally, instead of being relaxation and easygoing and, you know, all that, there's a mandate to rule and govern which means you're responsible for a ton of stuff, okay? A, a life filled with responsibility, all right? Now, probably, I would guess that in all of what you were thinking paradise was, most of us weren't picturing that, all right? Uh, why is there such a disconnect between God's version and our version of paradise, all right? Are we missing something here? Um, is this really true? Now, of course, the last point, can't forget this one. This is, this is a good, good part. There is companionship in the garden. And not just, but it's the companionship of naked people. Now, some of you are kind of, uh, paradise, that's coming closer, maybe. 
You know, some of you that's just scary. Now, I, I'm assuming that God created Adam and Eve as really good-looking naked people. Okay, so maybe that helps. I don't know. Um, so there's paradise. Um, is that really where we would want to be? Okay, honestly, uh, if this is paradise, is this really what we are pursuing with our life? Is this really where we're going? Well, it's, a, it's important and it's crucial. And I believe that Genesis 2 and 3 really are two of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. In fact, you cannot really understand the gospel and the cross if you don't understand Genesis 2 and 3. Because what Jesus came to do was to restore and bring back what was lost here. So if we don't understand what was lost here, we don't know what we gained in the cross. Now, of course, we all know it has something to do with sin, and you know, they disobeyed, and they weren't supposed to eat, and Jesus, through his death on the cross, forgives sin. But if that's all we see the cross as, we, we're missing the whole story of the Bible and the whole story of the Gospel. Because Jesus didn't die just to pay off your sin debt. He did that so that you could be restored to paradise. So you could be returned to the garden. Right? So get out your farming boots and your shovel and hang on as we look through Genesis chapter 2. Uh, what I want to do this morning uh, is look really at the function of the garden. What, what, you know, here's all these elements you know, and on this farming trip, and this is kind of scary. What really was the garden created to be? Okay, what, what does all this mean? And what is really the function of this place called the Garden of Eden? Well, as you look through, uh, let me go to the first slide, uh, we don't see it because we don't really come from their culture, but I want to I show you that a lot of the symbols and images that we see in this story, in, in, in Eden, are really pictures of a temple. Now, that's not to say that because they say they're pictures or symbols that they weren't real. I believe there was a real garden and a real tree and real rivers. I'm not saying they're just made up or mythical. I believe they were real, but they meant something. Okay, the author described certain elements in the garden out of many things he could have described because they were pictures of something significant to those who read it the first time. Uh, and really the significance is that what's being pictured here, the early Israelites would have identified with the temple. And what are some of those, what are some of those, uh, those pictures and images? Um, it's interesting, and it's important for us to get this. You know, when, we, when we read through kind of our scientific Western, removed from this context, reading of Genesis, Often, it's easy to take away from it this notion that the garden was a grocery store. That the whole point of the Garden of Eden was, you know, he created man, and he knew man would get hungry, and voila, there's fruit trees, you eat the fruit, you know, it takes care of that. And that this is essentially God's grocery store for mankind, right? And that's oftentimes how we, or at least how I, see the garden. Well, there's more to it than that. And really, if that's all it was, I can think of a whole lot better plans for food delivery, like McDonald's, you know, or Subway, or McManna, McManna. You know, he worked in the wilderness with the, with the Israelites, the, you know, when he brought them out of Egypt. They didn't need a garden. They didn't have to dig and plant and harvest, and they didn't need fruit trees. They just needed manna. Okay, God could make food from anything. He could have made it so that the, 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 
the food just bubbled up. You know, hamburgers, there they are. Toast, I don't know, whatever. God could have done it a different way. It's important to see that he created the garden because it had a specific function and purpose. Okay, It wasn't just, well, you know, they got to eat something. Fruit's good. I like peaches. Let's give them peaches, right? There's more to it than that. So let's look at the imagery and the pictures of the garden. First off, uh, you know, this, these, these temple images. Uh, it's significant that it says that God himself planted the garden. Okay, God created the whole world, and a lot of the language, and we will look at this in more detail later, but uh, the focus of chapter 2 is not the world at large. And there's a lot of question, you know, it says, you know, God created the plants on day 3, then I hear it is on day 6, and in this version it says, well, there were no plants yet. Well, there were plants worldwide. What he's describing in chapter 2 is the place where man would live. He's describing the plain or the field where this garden was located. Okay, He's zooming in, very tight focus on the Garden of Eden. Um, and he plant, it says God planted it himself. God created this space. Okay, He didn't leave it up to man. He created it himself. Uh, and it says that he set it in the east. Uh, now, east of what? I mean, what, what does that mean, in the east of what? Well, it doesn't really matter east of, you know, wherever. Uh, the significance of being in the east or facing toward the east is that was always a picture of God's presence. Uh, what, what happens in the east? Well, the sun comes up in the east. Okay, the sun rises from the east. And in ancient, to ancient man, that was always a picture of the dawning of a new day, the coming of the light, right? Uh, later, when they built the actual temple, the entrance to the temple faced which direction? Faced east. Why? Well, because God's, in, in symbolic terms, not, not literally, but in symbolic terms, God's presence was seen as coming from the east. So here's the garden, planted toward the east, toward the place where God's presence would come. Can you get the picture there? Um, it's not just random geography. It's, it's painting a picture. Uh, light itself is an image. Uh, the sun comes up and brings its light from the east. Uh, it, light is always a, a picture of God's presence, of his, of his presence with us. Uh, another significant thing is uh, are the trees. Uh, trees in Scripture also are very symbolic. And we find in the garden, not just trees in general, beautiful trees, but specifically the tree of life. Uh, and we'll talk more later about all that the tree is. But uh, life comes from God. Okay, contrary to popular opinion, the tree itself would never give eternal life. Okay, that's kind of a modern-day myth about the tree. We'll talk about what the tree did do. God gives life. In fact, we see that in this story that God breathes life into, into this body that he made. God gives life. The tree of life is absolutely a picture of God's life-giving presence in the midst of the garden. Uh, if you jump forward and, and, again, thinking in terms of symbols, in the temple, we all know about the candle stand, the menorah, the candle stand that stood in the temple and offered light in the temple. Well, we know that those, those menorahs, those candlesticks, were styled after a tree. Okay, and it was this picture of a life-giving tree. Now, for us, light and life may not always be synonymous, but think about Jesus John's words in, in uh, John chapter 1 about Jesus, who says, uh, Jesus was the life, and the life was what? The light of men. 
Jesus was the life, and the life was the light of men. And they're thinking light and life are very similar. Okay, so the tree is a picture of the life and light that God gives. Okay, again, it really is a picture of God's presence in the midst of the garden. Um, we move on through the description of the garden, and it says it has these four rivers. And there's some real confusing language about how they got there. Is, is it, some translations say there was a mist that rose up, some a fog. Uh, some of them just leave you in a fog. Uh, it can mean spring. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of debate. Um, I think it's a spring because mist never creates four rivers. Okay, and it says that they this flowed into four large, massive rivers. Okay, so it really probably is best described as a picture of a spring flowing up and creating these four rivers uh, that work somewhat in reverse of how nature normally works. Okay, normally like in Thailand and in mountainous regions, four small tributaries join together to make one large river, right? Well, here you've got the opposite effect. You've got one main tributary that breaks into four rivers. Uh, is that possible? Well, it is possible, and I've actually seen it. In places where large enough springs uh, gush out of the ground, as that water goes out, it seeks the lowest ground and it will divide, and you get the reverse effect, one main source creating four rivers. Um, Whatever all that means, it is symbolic of, of the same thing. What is water? Well, water, again, gives life. Okay, it's a picture of the unlimited and abounding source of God's presence. Uh, to put it in New Testament terms, Jesus said this uh, to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, speaking of real physical water. Whoever drinks of the water I will give, they will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Okay, so again, it's this picture of Jesus coming into us, becoming a wellspring of life in us. This abundant, never-ending, gushing flow of spring. Okay, that was the picture in the garden. Uh, to fast forward even further in Revelation and also in Isaiah and, and Ezekiel, where it pictures uh, the new temple, uh, pictures of heaven, of the ultimate perfect temple in the new Jerusalem, what flows out of the new temple? A river, right? A river. So again, it's this picture of the presence of God in this holy temple flowing out to the world around. Uh, another symbol is actually the work of Adam. And we'll talk next week about Adam's work. I know you guys are all hoping for eternity of retirement and ease. You know, and this whole work thing is just troubling. Interestingly, though, the word that's used there... Uh, for working the garden uh, is a word that was most commonly used for temple service. Okay, so for a priest or a Levite who did their duty or service in the temple, it uses the same word. Now, it can be used in agricultural setting, but it really pictures a kind of work that is temple service. All right? So, again, it's this picture of Adam and Eve putting in this garden, this garden temple, this place where even their work is worship, where their work is sacred service and duty to God. Again, just one more picture of the temple. Um, the, uh, the names of things. Uh, God created this, this garden with these beautiful, temp beautiful trees. It says the trees were beautiful. Another way to translate is that they were delightful. They were appealing. They were desirable. Interestingly, a lot of research on the word Eden. What does Eden mean? Well, 
there's many possibilities. But one explanation is that it sounds very similar to another word that means delightful, means uh, desirable, okay, a land of desire. Uh, those words always describe in the Old Testament the dwelling and presence of God. Okay, what made something desirable or that we would delight in was not its external beauty or value, but that it was possessed and filled with God. Because okay, that's what they long for. They long for God's presence. Uh, you can go on real quick. A couple others. The, the gold, onyx, precious stones. Uh, not actually in the garden, in some land connected to the garden. Um, why do those get mentioned? Why not coal, iron, and steel? Okay, much more practical. All right. I'm thinking these poor guys, what did they farm with? You know, God hands them a stick and said, for now, you've got to just do it with those stick. You know, a, a shovel would be better, but we haven't got that far yet. You know, why gold, onyx, of all the things you could have mentioned, why that? Well, it's interesting, when you look at the description of precious metals that were used in the construction of the temple, what were they? Same things. Onyx, gold, these precious gems, right? Same exact words. Again, it's, it's the symbolism or imagery of the temple. Um, if you fast forward and look at the temple, the actual temple itself, what was the temple? Uh, what, what was the function or purpose of the temple in Israel? When you look in uh, Exodus uh, 40, you look in uh, throughout the, the Pentateuch, the whole purpose of the temple was that it was the place where God's presence dwelt. Right? Uh, if you wanted to get face to face with God, you would go to the temple. And you would get as close as you could. Now, in the temple, there were limits. There were walls and courtyards and more walls and more courtyards. And depending on where you ranked, kind of decided how close in you could get. Right? But the point was that God's presence dwelt there. The glory of God fell in the temple, and God himself was in the temple. He filled it completely. And that's why you were not allowed to enter it, or you would die. But you could go there, you could get close. The temple was the place where you met with God. And uh, when Israel traveled with the tabernacle, the tabernacle was in the center of the camp so that God's presence would be in the midst of the people. Uh, when you look at Jesus in the temple, I, when Jesus died on the cross, one of the great events that happened in his death was, was that it altered the temple. What happened? The veil was torn in two, wasn't it? The curtain was ripped. All of a sudden now, there is What? free access to God's presence. The work of the cross, he restored what was lost in the garden. What was lost? Well, the garden is a picture of, it is, is a place where, ultimately, God's presence rests. Okay? If you read the story about the Garden of Eden and you miss God's presence, you've missed the whole story. All right? What it's about, what the garden is about, is a place where man can meet with and live in the presence of God. Okay, that's Genesis chapter 2 in a nutshell. Okay, everything in the chapter and everything that is lost in chapter 3 is about that single thing. When we look at why and how we were created, man is clearly the pinnacle of God's creation. And man alone was created in God's image. We talked about the significance of that is that it means we have the capacity for communion and relationship with God. Then God caps off his week of creation by setting aside a holy day devoted completely to himself. 
So that man has now space, space for Sabbath, for time set apart and consecrated to being in God's presence. And then God does what? He creates a garden where his presence dwells and where God lives continually in communion and fellowship with man. All right? That's the significance of the garden. If somebody were to ask you, what's the function of the garden? You tell them, it's the place where God's presence was. It was the place where man and God could walk together. We see that in chapter 3 where God shows up in the cool of the day to commune and fellowship with Adam and Eve, who by that time had already blown it and were off hiding in a bush. Uh, but, but, but that's what was, it was about. Okay. So what that means is the, the, the garden is all about the presence of God. The order of the garden, the order that was lost in, in the fall, is that God's, God created us and designed for us a space and a place where we could be in communion and fellowship with him. What makes the garden paradise? Well, it's not the garden, okay? It's not the dirt, the gardening. Okay, now for some of you who love gardening, maybe, you know, this is like heaven. It's like digging in the dirt. If you're three years old, for sure, it's all about the dirt. But, but for most of us, it's not that that makes it paradise. What makes it significant and meaningful is that uh, we encounter unhindered and unlimited access to God. Okay, that was the garden, a place of unhindered and unlimited access to the presence of God. Adam and Eve had the incredible privilege of living continually with God in the garden walking with him in friendship, in close, personal, intimate relationship. Right? It is, therefore, a sacred space. Um, its whole function is to be a place that's appropriate and suited to fellowship and communion with God. Okay? Well, that kind of explains a lot about the garden. Right? Why was there not McDonald's, food courts, shopping malls, TV, movie theaters, you know, cool Disney rides. All right? God did not fill it with stuff that would distract them from what? Communion and fellowship with Him. All right? He didn't fill it with endless interruptions and distractions and diversions. There wasn't even a swimming pool. Okay, now, theoretically, they could have gone swimming in the river, I guess, but think about how simple the garden was. Everything there uh, was focused on fellowship and communion with God. Uh, it was sacred space. Okay, we gotta, we got to get the picture of this because what God has redeemed us and saved us to is paradise, is a garden, which means a relationship uh, unhindered, uninterrupted, and, and of unlimited living in His presence. Okay, and that's not something available to us someday in heaven. It's something God desires for us here and now today. All right. um, that's the function. Let me, let me say just a couple more things about what it means to truly live and how we can pursue paradise. Um, what does it mean to live? What is life really about? One of our problems is that when we pursue paradise, when we live life, 
All too often we, ha- we are living a life that God did not ever design, desire or intend for us. We fill our life with a lot of stuff that is not really the purpose of God's creation of us. Uh, it's very interesting. We will look at much more detail about the tree of knowledge. Um, but here it's mentioned that, that God put in the, in the garden the tree of life, but also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that this was a bad tree. Okay? And I don't always know. I think God was confused with this tree because I don't know what he was thinking, but it caused all kinds of problems, right? What's with the tree of knowledge? Well, I, we'll talk in detail about what it's about. But we know this, that it called for obedience, and the penalty for disobedience was what? Death, right? And not just death someday, but it says that you will, the, the day you eat, the day you eat of it, you will die. Okay, the language there is very forceful, very deliberate, and very clear. Okay, it's not like, well, you, eat it, you know, if you eat of it, you know, you're going to start feeling old, you're going to get tired, you know. And eventually, after 930 years, Adam, that's how long he lived, you're going to die. No, it doesn't say that. It says, the day you eat of it, you will die. Well, when you go to chapter 3, Satan comes along and says, you're not going to die. And they eat, and they don't die. And it makes it look like the serpent is telling the truth and God is a liar. Well, what, what, what is that all about? Well, the real problem is that we don't really understand what living and dying are. Okay? The truth is, they did die. When they ate, they died. What happened immediately on the day they ate? On the day they ate, they got kicked out of the garden. Right? They died. That's death. Death is being removed from the life-giving presence of God. Just as God's breath animates our physical body and gives us life. In the same way, God's presence animates our spiritual being and gives us spiritual life. They died the day they got kicked out of the garden. Okay, life and death is not uh, having a body that's breathing and you know, able to play golf and study and work and drive. Okay, life is ultimately... Living in God's presence. Okay, that's the significance of the garden in the fall. Okay, living in life is, is being in and experiencing God's daily presence. That's life. All right? So while we may be walking around, there's no guarantee that we're actually living. Okay, we, we, we live in a world with a bunch of walking dead people. Okay, they're alive on the outside, but they're completely dead inwardly. Jesus came. He says, I came that I may give life and give it abundantly. Okay, when you got saved, did you all of a sudden become physically more alive? Well, maybe some of you did. If you're like drug addicts and alcoholics and God kind of cleaned you up, maybe you did become physically in a little better shape. Um, But really, that's not what God's talking about. Jesus says, I come to give you life and give it abundantly. Life is living and being in God's presence and being connected to Him having a spiritual life that derives itself from God himself. Uh, That's what it means to live, to abide and be in God's presence. So given all that, um, what does it mean to pursue paradise? Uh, You know, here's the deal. This is what God created life to be perfect life. Uh, Adam and Eve blew it. We all are suffering the consequences of that. Jesus came and through his cross has come to restore the garden. 
to restore life, right? So how should life be different for us? What should be the things that we're pursuing? Well, we will look at this more in depth, but let me just say a few things about what the garden is uh, in terms of our own life. Now, the good news is that to live in the presence of God doesn't mean you've got to go out and become a rice farmer. Okay, praise God. Because as much as fun as that looks, you know, it would be just a, it'd be a relief for me personally. Right? But what does it mean for you to pursue the garden, to pursue this life? Well, I think, uh, first of all, it means that a lot of the things we're investing our lives in, entertainment and diversion and relaxation and recreation and companionship and even worship experiences, in the end may really have nothing to do with paradise or the life God wants us to live. To realize that some of, a lot of those things, especially at the extreme use of them that our culture is involved in, is not life is not God's blessing, is not what God's called us to. Um, they are pseudo-paradise. Okay, they're trying to fill our life with something because we know something is missing. And so people try to fill them with entertainment, with video games, with occupations and diversions, looking for something. But it doesn't ever work. Instead, the garden tells us that that we need to be pursuing, first of all, God. Life should be about pursuing a, a daily relationship living in God's presence, continually, moment by moment, living in God's presence. Okay, to pursue paradise means to pursue God. If we're seeking anything else first, it's idolatry. Okay, it's idolatry. God uh, created us to pursue Him and live in communion and relationship with Him. Secondly, uh, it means pursuing a much simpler life. Uh, you know, I think, I think our life is just so complicated. Um, and, and I could go on and on about this, but, and, I, and I don't want to... This is something you've got to work out in your own life between you and God. Uh, God did not, you know, think about how simple the garden was. Okay, you guys that were in the Lahu village, you know, life there is much simpler, right? It's just much simpler. Uh, you know, God did not call us to the craziness we created for ourselves. And everything from, you know, from preschool onward, we are packing our lives full of so much stuff. Uh, we cram our schedules full. We, we work ourselves to death so we can buy more stuff, right? Think of how simple the garden was. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't even know what that means in my own life, okay? I don't know what it means in your life. But I do believe this, that the pursuit of God and the pursuit of the right kind of relationship with Him cannot happen until we learn to live much, sim much more simply, to scale back our work schedules and our lives and our activities, um, where we have time and space to meet with God. Uh, it means pursuing quiet and solitude. Okay, the garden was an amazingly still and quiet place. Now, I don't know how talkative Eve was, or Adam for that matter, you know. I don't know how that worked. But overall, it was just a pretty quiet place. 
uh, a place of solitude. Now, I don't know that I don't base it only on the garden, but I really base it on the life of Jesus. Jesus continually sought solitude and quiet with his Father. All right, that that has got to be a hallmark of our life. Um, seeking quiet and solitude, making time in our life to meet with God and to hear his voice. So here's the deal. We have filled our life with so much activity and so much busyness. How do you know that all of that activity and busyness is really from God? Now we assume that because we do it, it must be God's will, right? Well, I'm doing it, and I'm obedient to God, and I'm a good Christian, therefore, it must be right. There's only one way you can know that the activities of your life are really lined up with God's purpose and will. And that is if God has told you. Well, when's God going to tell you? Well, when you get alone and in quiet before him and you hear him speak. And he says, today this is what I want you to do. And you can shove aside everything else because it's not from God. And say, well, God told me to do this one thing. right. We think that we will honor God by doing more. God says, you'll honor me more by doing what I ask. Right? You need to be doing more. Just do the one thing I ask. Right? Lastly, uh, we, I think, pursue paradise by pursuing uh, Sabbath. You know, and again, it's not a legalistic thing. It's not that we have to make Sunday a weird thing where you, know, you can't watch TV or something. But we build into our life sacred time that is devoted to God. Now, the garden is not a picture of like some kind of, you know, living off in isolation in a hut where it's just you and God alone 24-7 with nothing but your Bible, you know, and kind of living like Elijah out in the wilderness. Okay, the garden is more than that. And we will actually be looking next week at all that God put in the garden. And it's full of life and activity, okay, it's not just solitude. So we've got to keep it in balance. Okay? There's work, there's responsibility, there's companion and relationship, there's obedience. But there's also Sabbath rest. There's also space for God. Right? Um, that is Sabbath. That is, that is paradise. That is really what God has designed and created us for. Uh, let's just bow... And as you reflect on your own life before God, um, can you honestly say that everything in your life you were doing because God told you to? Because you have been still before Him and He's spoken to you about all this busyness, uh, all the things in your life, all the activities and pursuits, did it really all come from God? You know, how would we do if God zapped us today into the Garden of Eden? Uh, would we be frustrated because we couldn't check our email? Because uh, we couldn't catch up on the daily news? Uh, if all we had was just time and space and all that was there was God, what would we do with that? Father, we, uh, we really do want to understand and know what it means to live and be in your presence. 
And Lord, this is really the beginning of the story, the story of the gospel, the story of all creation. That you created man, you created Adam and Eve, and you set them in this place, the sacred space that was a temple where they could walk and live in your presence. And Lord, we have moved so far from that place. And even though Jesus came to restore it and is working in our life to re- remake that space within us, but if we're honest, we would say that uh, it's such a small part of our existence. If we were to measure our day against, uh, against the Garden of Eden, uh, Lord, if we're honest, very few moments look like that. Very few moments look like walking with you. But Lord, we want that. And Lord, I believe that every person here knows that true, ultimately true happiness uh, comes in relationship with you. And Lord, you have created us for that. Uh, By the work of Jesus, you have uh, redeemed us for that. Lord, teach us how to live in that place. Lord, show us where we need to cut back on our life and simplify and and slow it down, stop all the craziness, and put you back truly as the the Lord and King and God of our life. Lord, help us do this so that we can truly honor you with our whole life and give glory and praise and worship to you in the garden of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.